Um, dear Jesus, uh, we need you. Thank you for the testimony of how you set Anna free and how understanding her identity was huge. And that's what we're talking about today. And it's so cool how you bring things together. Father, I pray that this would um, be true of my life as well as everyone here that we would understand. For those of us who are in Christ, we'd really understand, own, and walk in who we are, who you've made us to be. That it's not something we earn and try our best to attain to, but you've given it to us. And we just need to learn how to walk in light of that. So I pray for this message. It will get home to people. Um, people's lives will be changed. Fill me with your spirit. This is a message I believe you want me to share. It's not merely my own words. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to share my screen so you can see slides here. So we've been talking uh, a few weeks with some devos. Seaver shared uh, last week, I think it was. Uh, Matt did a, a sermon on identity in Christ. It just seems to be a thing God is wanting our church. It's like a message for our church right now. Understand who you are in Christ. Learn how to walk it out. Um, it's understanding, it's a key to understanding the performance driven mindset. Um, it's a strategy. The devil's going to come at you and hit, hit you with that. You're, you're not this, you can't own this. This isn't you. This is for somebody else. And I really, really believe truly, if we're walking in this, in our identities in Christ that he's purchased for us, we are we're virtually like bulletproof. I really believe this. So I wanted to talk more specifically about one key area that's ours in Christ, that's part of your identity in Christ, if you're in Christ, and that is this idea of adoption. I think it's a super, super beautiful picture and image that, that Jesus gives us that's a true, true reality, uh, and adoption captures it really well. It's just a, one facet of it. So our main text today is uh, from Romans 8. Romans 8 is huge, awesome identity in Christ passage. Um, I think Matt's, Matt talked about Romans 8 a few weeks ago as well. But Romans 8, 15 through 16, actually, that says 17 there. I was going to do 17, but then realized I was going to run out of time. So uh, 15 says, the spirit you received, and this is talking about someone who's, who's in Christ, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, just talking about the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then the next verse talks about our, our inheritance in Christ and so forth. So but before we dive in, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to think a little bit more about why this is so important for us. And um, so hopefully this, this helps. If you think about, think about this, what is your identity? What, what, what is it? Well, I think it's something, it's what, it's what gives you value. But feel what you feel like gives you worth and value. Um, it's what makes you feel loved and important, right? So it could be a lot of different things. Not not it's not normally just one thing in someone's life. So the things that are true of someone that's in in the world that's not in Christ. Here's the things that are pretty common that give them identity. And just keep in mind, we drag these right into our relationship with Jesus, and we do the same thing. So um, here's where things we typically go to to get our value from. So possessions, having lots of stuff, status, career, uh, wealth. And Matt, I love the story Matt told about, it's just a bunch of forks, you know, like, how are you going to get your, why are you going to get your identity from that? If you weren't here, go listen to it. Or my joke probably made no sense then. Uh, looks, popularity, like looking good to get other people's approval. Like you feel like you need that or else you're not, you're, you're not um, loved or valued or accepted. Um performance in school and sports. That's a big one, right? That people drag right into Christianity. Uh, identity from family. Like what do your parents and siblings think about you, right? Wanting to do things just to gain their approval uh, from what other people around you have said or what you here's the other thing. People get their identity from what they think people are just thinking of them, you know, and it's this game that we play with ourselves and it's totally uh, it's just a lose-lose situation, right? Because you have no idea what people are thinking about you, much less should you be getting your identity from that. Uh, and then from how others love you or how you think they should love you or how you perceive that they're loving you or not loving you. We get, we just get our identity from all these sources. They're like empty wells. They're like broken cisterns. They don't hold water. They're not going to give you the identity that you were designed for. And the problem with it is it's typically looking to yourself for your value and worth, really, when you get to it. 
or what others think about you, but it's all, it's all you, you, you. Um, so how good you are at sports or business, how much money, how good of marriage you have, how, how many cars, friends, how many friends come over when you invite them? We, we just are kind of neurotic why, for the things we go to for our identity. It's based off of comparison. So you're going to feel whatever your area is or several, right? You're going to feel more valued and more uh, loved the more you receive compared to other people, right? In that area. So what are we going to do when reality hits, right? <laughs> reality is going to hit. The fact that there's somebody who's always going to be smarter and better, have more friends, whatever it is, right? Always, there's always going to be someone like that. So you're, or, um, so this is going to either drive you crazy because what do you, what do you do when reality hits? Well, you're either going to have this drive to do more, to do better, to run harder, just try harder, right? Just be better. Like the sign says, uh, that's your checklist for the day, right? Just earn it. Or you're going to give up and go cry in a corner because you realize you can't, and you're just going to get depressed and sad and give up. And usually this turns into lying, just living a lie because you know, you can't do it. And so you lie about it. And then people aren't really loving the real you anyway, because you've presented this falsehood about who you are. So this identity thing is huge. People lie again to cover up so that people will love them. But then again, it doesn't feel real. So this is going to, this is going to break you. If we don't figure this out, it's going to break me. If we don't do this right, figure out our identity, it's going to, it's going to break you. So like Matt said, again, we bring this right into our walk with Jesus. You become in Christ and you bring this performance-based value system right into it. And you'd live the same way, but you put, you call it Christianity and that's not Christianity, right? So uh, who's struggling with this, right? Yeah. A lot of people, this is a big deal, right? And I, I think, um, I think either people are struggling with this, maybe God's given them victory, but a lot of people are probably lying about it as well. So uh What's your, what's your thing? What's your thing? What's your thing that you go to for your identity? What is it? Or several things. Hopefully God is going to tell you. And again, don't, don't listen to this and be like, oh, I wish this person would hear this, right? Oh man, this person's not here. Think about yourself, right? You're, you can only change yourself. You can't change someone else. So think about yourself. How, what's God saying to you as we go through this? So how do you pull this right into Christianity? Some people it's like, well, if I memorize enough scripture, God's going to love me and accept me. Well, if I'm totally holy and perfect, you know, hit all the check boxes, God and other people are going to value me. If I give a great Devo, right? If I really sound wise, give a great sermon or whatever, people are going to give me the praise that I so crave. And, or if I share the gospel a lot, yeah, and I talk about it, and then that's going to give me the accolades that I really desire. Again, whatever it is, it's going to drive you in this endless race that you can't win. It's going to break you or you're going to give up and go cry in a corner. You're going to lie about stuff and, and it sucks to live that way. It's going to break you. So what fixes this? This is why we're here today. What fixes this? Well, it's something or someone of higher status of great importance, assigning you and giving you your worth, not something that's earned. That's why it's so key and essential to understand this because God, I think I have a slide here. Yeah. God is of incalculable value. We can't even grasp how valuable he is. And if he says something is true in your identity, then it can't change based on your performance. This is so huge, right? So again, that's why it's huge to understand your identity in Christ, who you really are in Christ. So the fact that Jesus died for you should utterly settle the question of that he loves you. We hear that all the time, though, right? He loves you. He died for you. What did he do as a result of that love? He died for you, but then there's this aspect we're going to talk about today of adoption. There's this transfer that takes place. He's, he, ma he made you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse a lot of people quote all the time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're in Christ. There's really two categories uh, of people in the world, those who aren't in Christ and those who are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, he's made you a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. So what's part of the, what are part of the new things in Christ? I made, um, I made a slide here that shows kind of this, um, oh, sorry, there's the Second Corinthians verse. It shows the transfer. There's this transfer that takes place. On the left, you see, here's the things that are true about someone who's not in Christ. There's the things that are true, and there's a lot more of this as well. So if you're not in Christ, you're the kingdom of the devil. 
if you are in Christ, you're transferred to the kingdom of God, right? If you're, Jesus says, those who aren't for me are against me. So there's this, you're against, you're either living against Christ or you're living for Christ. You're either going to receive what you deserve for your sins or Jesus paid the price for your sins. And just the same as that, you either get your identity defined by the world and your performance, or you get your identity defined by Jesus. It's just as true a reality as your salvation. And this is a, set, a big truth I think we all, all need to hear. Just as true a reality as being born again. It's part of it. Um, and I think that's so cool because a lot of times I didn't, I didn't kind of look at it that way. I looked and said, well, yeah, I know I'm saved, but I kind of, you still kind of feel like you got to earn this identity thing. You got to earn your worth and value. But your identity is being given to you just as real and true as your salvation is. So now we just have to learn how to live it, right? A lot of us are operating like this prince, a prince who is living in the gutter, in the street, right? Because he doesn't realize he's a son of the king. He's not living in, in the palace, right? He's living in the gutter. So first step, realize who you are in Christ. Oh, sorry. First step, realize who you are apart from Christ. This is the gospel. This is how you get in. You realize who you are apart from Christ. You're a sinner. You deserve judgment for what you've done. Jesus came because he loved you and he paid the price. And he proved it by rising again from the dead, that he defeated sin and death. And he says, he makes a promise. If you surrender to him as Lord of your life and follow him, he's going to save you. And he does. But then just as real as that, he gives you this new identity. So you have to be in Christ. That's the first step. And then you have to understand who you are in Christ and walk in it. And I think, again, we'd be untouchable. We wouldn't have, like Anna was talking about, the anxiety, like figuring out the, uh, her identity was a big part of, of, of killing that anxiety, right? Nothing would, nothing would really offend you if you really knew who you were in Christ. There, you wouldn't be comparing yourself with other people. You'd be com able to completely selflessly love all these things. Um, you'd be able to be honest with people and have people be honest with you because they're not worried. I mean, you're not worried about them hurting you, right? Because you know who you are in Christ. The fear of man is another big one. I, I struggle with that a lot. Other people's opinions of me, fearing rejection, right? If you really knew who you were in Christ, that, that wouldn't be a problem. Uh, you'd be able to obey God because you know his father heart of love for you. If you really knew who you were in Christ, you wouldn't need to cover up who you are. You can just own it because you know you're valued. So one way to sum up the call of the Christian life is be who you are in Christ, right? It's not kind of the world's model of, you know, you be you, you be whatever you want, right? It's be who you are in Christ, what he purchased for you on the cross. So I made a slide. I, I stole this from uh, Freedom in Christ Ministries because they have a great list. And I just want to show you the magnitude of the things that scripture says is true of you in Christ. Um, you can look this up on their website. They show all the Bible verses. So who are you in Christ? You're God's child. As a disciple, you're a friend of Christ. You've been justified, bought with a price. You belong to God. You're a member of Christ's body. You've been chosen and adopted as his child. Again, we're going to focus a lot more on that later. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You have direct access through, to the throne of grace through Jesus. That's a pretty amazing one as well. Romans 8.1 talks about you're free from condemnation. You're assured that God works good from your circumstances in your life. That's huge when you go through trials. You're free from condemnation. Uh, you've been established and anointed and sealed by God. You're hidden with Christ in God. You're confident that he's going to complete a good work that he started in you. He's going to bring you to completion. You're a citizen of heaven. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. You're born of God and the evil one can't touch you. You've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You're God's temple. You're a minister of reconciliation. Just on and on and on, right? It's, it's amazing. The things that have been purchased for us and given to us and accomplished for us in Christ. So thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us all these things. Uh, Watchman Nee has a great book that um, really emphasizes this well. He, he, he really just uses the structure of Ephesians. And he says Ephesians, and a lot of times, a lot of Paul's letters and other writings, is just like, understand what's been done for you. Understand what Jesus has done for you and what, what that's purchased for you. And live in light of that, right? And so many of us try to flip that around and say, we got to live this way in order to gain this. And it's not, it doesn't work that way, right? So a lot of times we're like... Uh, we're like, uh, have you ever like um, seen somebody lose their glasses, but it's on their head? <laughs> that happened to you today, Lynette? 
They're right there. Okay. Yeah, we're like that. It's kind of silly. It's like we have it, but a lot of times we're not using it, right? We're we're walking around saying, what, you know, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? But they're right there. You have it. You're just not using it. That's how a lot of us are with our identity in Christ. Um, a lot of Christians simply just don't know, or they forgot, or they're not applying it, right? They have it. They're not using it. So um, I have an analogy. So um, it's really getting this piece is so essential. Um Oh, I wanted to tie back in the Watchman Nee thing. So the book is called uh, Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's the idea that you have to learn how to rest in your identity in who you are in Christ. So this idea of sitting, you're safe, you're secure, it's accomplished. And then you walk out of that position, right? Then you're able to do all these things for Christ, secure in your position in him. And it's, it's, like, a, it's like a launch pad for a rocket, Right. You have to get the rocket lined up on the ro- on the launch pad, or else it's not going to go well, right? It's gonna if you if it's not on the launch pad, if it's off on the side, and you try to light the rocket off, it's going to go crazy. It's going to destroy things uh, and not go well. But if you get it right on the launch pad, it goes off like crazy, right? So much power and force. So that's us, and and I know each one of us want to be used mightily by God, right? But we got to get the identity piece right. So um, I love uh, that we have a high bar at this church. I think it's great. I'd rather have a high bar than not have a high bar. But I think what this exposes a lot of times is that we don't have the identity piece right. It draws it out in us. And that I think that happens to a lot of people in our church. So again, key is knowing and accepting and walking in your identity in Christ. Um, so the specific area I wanted to focus on is adoption. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of what what Jesus has done for us and the identity he's purchased for us. So if you're in Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. J.I. Packer has a great, a great quote. He says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Of all the gifts of grace, adoption is the highest. So we're going to go into this more. We're going to first look at Romans 8 and then go look at some keys of adoption. So Romans 8, kind of a health, helpful lead up for us. Romans 1 through 3 Paul is, is writing in such a way that shows there's, there's condemnation for everyone. You don't escape because you think you're a good religious person or something like that. There's, everyone's equally condemned for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then he shows us that we're justified by faith, as it's always been, faith in the promise of Jesus. And then don't live, exa- don't live exactly, Romans 6 through 7 is basically don't live exactly how you used to live. It doesn't make sense. Don't do that. Romans 8 is live how you are in Christ, live who you are in Christ, kind of a, a, a general overview. So again, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So that first part, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. You were given the Holy Spirit, not to make you slaves, the law before Christ. So under the law before Christ, everything was about rules. And the rules showed you how sinful you were, right? They showed you your need for God. Without those, we wouldn't exactly know how much we needed God, but they show us and expose us to how much, how far the bar is, how far we've fallen short, how much we really need God. So we're thankful for the law and the moral code because it shows us how much we need him. But now in Christ, the requirement's been met for you. So you don't have to live in fear of not measuring up anymore. If you're in Christ, the bar has been met for you. So slaves live with this mentality of, man, if I make one wrong misstep, I'm going to get booted. I'm going to get punished, et cetera. And that's not the mindset. That's not the spirit that's been given to us. Paul is drawing, I love this. He's drawing this contrast between a spirit of slavery and a spirit of sonship. Because in Christ, we have the spirit of sonship. So you receive the Holy Spirit who de facto made you a son of God by adoption. You are currently, if you're in Christ, a son or daughter of Christ. It's amazing. It's not some long drawn out process like we're going to talk about later. And it's a function of the spirit. And by the spirit, it says we cry, Abba, Father, um, which in Aramaic, Abba means father. And it's just a reemphasis. This really gives you the ability to have this really intimate relationship with God where you're able to call him father. Um, it's amazing because sometimes Judah will come up and say, you know, dada, and it just melts me, man. 
it's just absolutely it's just like the fact that he and he doesn't even understand everything it means right um but we have that same type of intimacy with with god now um it's astounding Galatians 4, there's other places that talk about this idea of adoptions. Ephesians 1 talks about it. Galatians 4 talks about it. I, I wanted to read Galatians 4 just to kind of reemphasize. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Very similar language. Because you are his son, it's definite, it's complete. God sent his spirit. So I, I was thinking, well, is it like you get adopted and then you get the spirit or you get the spirit? And so that makes you adopted. I think it's a, just a package deal. It's together. You can't have one without the other. So, and then verse 16 in Romans 8, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Um, it could be also read, what, what, so the spirit testifies with our spirit or to our spirit that you are God's child. And if you think about it, testimony is a declaration, something that's said, that's true. I think sometimes people are expecting a very kind of vague sense, uh, feeling that I'm from God. And I think some people get that, or I am of God. Uh, some people get that, and that's great. But I really think what this is talking about is look and see, does, is the Spirit bearing witness in your life that He's there? Like, what does it look like? And I think here are some things that clearly from Scripture looks like this. Do you have an inner yearning to obey God? right? You don't, you just want to obey God. Do you have a brokenness for your sin in life, in your life? Do you like being around other people that, that are following God, right? Is there fruit, the evidence of the Spirit? Anna talked about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those like increasing generally in your life? You have burdens to pray for people because the Holy Spirit will give you burdens to pray for people. Some of these are, are just evidences that the Spirit is testifying that you are His child, right? And it should bring us a lot of confidence. So what is adoption? What is it? I found actually a cool definition from the U.S. government. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because, well, I think God borrows ideas from the physical world to help us understand spiritual realities. So I was like, how does the world look at it? And we're going we're gonna to compare the world's view of adoption versus God's view. And there's a lot of similarities and there's some distinctions. So what is adoption? This is from the U.S. Department of Health. And human services. It's a social, emotional, and legal process. So they, they name three things. It's interesting. A lot of times we think of the legal. We just think of the paperwork, right? Or whatever. But it's a, they talk about the social and emotional in their definition. In which a child who will, who will not be raised by birth parents becomes full and permanent legal member of another family. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. That's why I wanted to put it in there. Again, it emphasizes there's a permanent transition from one family to another and it's so it's like the whole being social emotional and legal so i wanted to go through and show you some similarities and distinctions between adoption today and adoption that you have if you're in christ okay so what is the adoption process and this is and again i'm not like uh trained in this but um this is kind of generally the way it goes you have a child who's born into their situation and it's a bad situation or a situation that becomes bad in a lot of different ways, right? Um, and then you have some, some couple somewhere from a sometimes different country, sometimes from the same country, decide that they want to adopt. They don't, a lot of times they don't even know the child in most cases, right? They get connected through some kind of adoption agency, go through a process. And the thing is, it could take a, it could take a long time and a lot of money. And then the child permanently becomes part of that family at the end of the process. It's, the, it's an amazing thing. I was going online. Um, I was wanting to show some videos and I'm not, but look up adoption videos. They're really powerful. Like uh, it follows a child along or the parents through the journey. And then that moment when they first see each other, a lot of times is just so powerful. Even if like no mention of God is there, the idea is just really powerful that you're taking someone in to your family. Um, so think about this as we go through this. This is God's heart for you. It is. It's God's heart for you. Don't think of others. This is, this is you. Not, you know, one of the lies the devil hits us with is, oh, this isn't you. You're not good enough. This is other people. It's not really, you know, who haven't been through the same stuff as you. But this is you if you're in Christ. Um, so some similarities. It starts um, from a, some kind of bad situation. It could be the child's not wanted, abused, parents died, lots of different reasons. 
Um, usually not good. So before you were in Christ, your situation was bad. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. You're on a path to destruction. James talks about sin leads to death, right? Um, you're of your father, the devil. You're apart from God who loves you. Your sin's gotten you into all sorts of messes, right? There's bondage to sin, coping mechanisms, lies. It's just a mess. Um, so very similar there. Some kind of, you know, a bad situation. Next is there's this desire. This one's huge. There's some, some couple, family, wherever, and they have a desire to adopt. They want the child. Might not have even known them before. But they wanted to love and accept and pull them out of the bad situation they were in. That's powerful because it's the same thing uh, for you and me in Christ. You are wanted. Do you know that? Like you are wanted. God wants you. He wants to adopt you. It's amazing. There's this one of my favorite verses that just expresses this heart of God. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He's gonna, he rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult, exult over you with loud singing. It's clear to see you're, you're important to God. You believe that? He loves you. You're important to him. He wants to save you out of this situation. He wants to rejoice over you with gladness. He wants to adopt you. And he sing, this one that blows my mind, that he sings over me. That he sings over you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever viewed God that way? Right? Man. Yeah, that he wants you. He has a desire for you. He wants you in the family. If you aren't in yet, he wants you. And if you are in Christ, just know, yeah, he, he wanted you. Right? Another note, adoption is costly a lot of times. Both money, time, all these things. So to know that Jesus loved you enough to die for you is crazy, but also that he loved you and wanted you enough to adopt you. That's radical love, right? To put up with everything that you bring to the table. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people love the idea of adoption. They're like, oh, maybe someday I'll adopt, but they never will go that far because it's a high price to pay, right? But God did it for you because he loves you. He adopted you. So in the adoption process, another similarity, it's permanent. There's this permanence that's created. You're, you're legally brought into the family. It's really cool. The child's legally treated as part of the family now. There's no, there's no distinction. Socially, remember there's, there's other ones. There's the legal, but socially and emotionally, they need to learn how to figure out how to integrate into that family and take on the identity of that family, right? They can't just live the same ways they were living before. Um, it's not something that's just going to change, right? Due to moving someplace or distance or a, 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 a rebellious stage. Uh, if the child's not smart or athletic enough, they're still part of the family. It doesn't change. It's not performance driven, right? If they have issues with the parents, it, it doesn't change. They're still a part of the family. They don't lose who they are. Um, in a much greater way, again, when God adopts you and me, we're treated as, far, as part of the family we're in. It's finished. It's something that's completed. Just as real as your salvation, it's part of it. And we need to learn how to integrate then into this family, into this new identity that's been purchased for you and me. doesn't change based on your performance. You don't need to have an attitude going around like, man, if I slip up, I'm probably out today, right? Uh, you don't have to do that anymore. But with God, this is really cool. With God, it goes deeper even than that because he adopts you as his child if you're in Christ, but there's this mystical union with Christ. It doesn't mean you become God. There's this mystical union. Second Peter 1 talks about this. It says those who are joined to Christ are partakers of the divine nature. That's wild, right? And 1 Corinthians 6 says, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So there's this mystical union between our spirit and the Holy Spirit. So it's not just you're in the family. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. We're going to be this unified mystical union here. Your identity in Christ has changed at the very core of you. And again, this is whether you, whether you feel like it or not, it's a reality. So you, you're in, you're safe, you're secure. I think of Romans 8, what can separate you from the love of God? There's a whole list of stuff that says can't separate you from the love of God. So there's no need to fear or be anxious anymore, right? The child, I'm going to go through this a little bit later, how I, how I feel about Judah, I think is just, God's opened my eyes a lot to this, but child never needs, needs to learn how to be, uh, it needs to 
a child never needs to worry about where their next meal is coming from, right? Or are they going to be taken care of that day? Their parents just do, right? They don't need to live, live in fear about what other people think about them. And when you receive discipline from a loving father, you know it's to help you. It's to help you learn and grow. It's not because he has disdain towards you. He's your loving father. It's really, it's really so wonderful. So here's some ways that adoption is different. The physical adoption in the world is different than the way God adopts us. So differences. Number one, a couple, a lot of times, a couple's looking for very specific criteria, like age, gender, height, I don't know. Uh, usually a lot of times younger ones go quicker. Um, but with God, it's so different. doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter what you've been through, right? He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. Another one. Whoops. Uh, sometimes the process can take years, really a long time, but with, with Christ that you're in, bam, you've been adopted. It's like a lightning strike from heaven. You're saved, but also that's when that transaction takes place and you're adopted like a lightning strike from heaven. It's not something that takes years. Not Again, not something you have to earn. Try to be on your best behavior to receive, hopefully. It's been given to you. And a lot of times, another distinction, there's um, still, like a kid will be adopted in, but they still, like there's distinctions between the bio kids, if there's more kids, and uh, the adopted kids. And sometimes they're treated differently um, and they look differently. But in Christ, you're in, you're in. There's no distinctions in Christ anymore, Right? It's amazing. And then I was also thinking through, there's a lot of challenges that come with adoption, just the same as there's a lot of challenges that come when we're adopted in Christ. So here's some challenges when we're talking about our adoption. So there's really two big ones. In adoption, it's, there's all the baggage that the adopted child brings to the table, all the, the past experiences, the trauma. And it's like this when you and I are adopted into God's family, all your old ways of thinking and living are ingrained in your brain. And the longer you've been doing it, the, the deeper they're ingrained in your brain. And you have to retrain your brain by the renewing of the mind. That's what we talk about Romans 12 too, a lot here. It takes retraining. It takes being in the word, think, saying to yourself, oh, I used to think this way. And maybe it's about this adoption thing right now. I used to think I had to earn it, but God's word clearly says I don't. And now I got to retrain my mind to think that way and remind myself even daily that that's not who I am anymore. Um, sitting at God's feet, rethinking how to think about everything. And that's true in the physical adoption. There's a lot of stuff they go through, and it's even more so true in the adoption into God's family. And this adoption will transform you. I'm going to tell you a story at the end that really drives this home. This love is powerful. It transforms you to be brought into a new family. Number two, challenges. Um, is the kid, a lot of times, not really believing that it's real. Or that the family really loves them or likes them, right? Or wants them or there's permanence to it. I feel like, again, if they mess up, they'll get kicked out. And so many of us are like this in our relationship with God. The devil wants to get you snagged up with a bunch of lies. Like, you're not good enough. It's not for you. Not really true of you. That, that may be for others, but not me. I know it's a gift, salvation, but I got to earn everything else. And they'll reject, this one's a big one. If, if people really knew me, they're going to reject me. So I'm going to hide, right? One I really struggled with in the past is that I'm second rate. God doesn't want me. He doesn't want to use me. There's other more gifted people out there, right? But the verse that really is key for me, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork. So if you're in Christ, this is you. For you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. And I was like, wow, I just got to own that. He does want to use me and he will use me. So these are all lies. When you get adopted, the devil has no more say in it anymore in your life. You don't have to listen to him, but he'll try, right? You don't have to listen to him anymore. It's amazing. So what does it mean for you? What does it look like for you to live this way in Christ? It really means live as you are because you're adopted but by, by saying that, I'm not saying as you currently are, I'm saying the identity you've been given. Live with, live in light of that. And what's really helped me understand this better is my relationship with Judah. Cutest baby in the world. I'm not biased. But as I understand how I feel and think about Judah, I'm like, gosh, God thinks about me that way. That's powerful. 
right? And even like times, whoever knows, like a big number, right? So sometimes, um, sometimes Judah, he's like freaking out because he's hungry, you know? He's like throwing a fit. And I'm like, dude, when have, we, when have we not given you food ever? You know, like, come on, chill out, right? So I think one of the steps for a lot of us is stop, just stop freaking out about stuff, guys, right? God is going to take care of you. He's your good father. Stop freaking out about stuff. And I think about that with Judah when he comes and he's like freaking out about stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm going to get, we're actually like making it right here. Do you see this? Like, this is for you. Stop freaking out. Uh, even if you don't have it right now, we're going to give it to you. You're not going to starve. Um, or sometimes Judah um, thinking, and, and this is crazy, but you know, I tell him to do something and I know he hears me and he does something else. He thinks he knows better. Right. Um, and what I'm telling him to do is for his own benefit. So a lot of, a lot of us is just to realize God's father heart of adoption for us. He loves you so much and he knows, he knows best. Just, just listen to him. Just obey him, right? He's not out to harm you. And when I, whenever I discipline, the, the next one is discipline. Um, I, I don't like to discipline Judah. Sometimes I have to because we're trying to teach him how to respect and obey and things like that. But I, I hate it because um, like I know it's hurting him, but it's teaching him the difference between right and wrong. So whenever I... Um, Whenever I discipline Judah, I'm not trying to communicate disdain that I hate him. I'm trying to help him, right? But a lot of times he, that gets lost in the, in, the, in the communication for him, I'm sure, and for us with God as well. But I, I really, the, the last thing I want him thinking is daddy doesn't love him and like mope around a bunch, right? I want him to figure the thing out I'm trying to teach him and get up and keep going, right? And a lot of times when you and I stand and we feel like God's disciplining us or teaching us, we feel like we got to mope for weeks and then God will like, be okay with us again? That's not how it is at all. That's not my heart for Judah. And that's not God's heart for you either. Um, even if Judah messes up big time, he doesn't stop being my son, right? There's safety and security in that. And I, I love him. I love him so much. And that's just show me how much God loves uh, you and I. I'm not disappointed when he, when he fails. I celebrate his efforts, right? And God's not disappointed. Um. This one's interesting. I think I'll, this this shows like why we should try to learn the easy way and not the hard way because your choices to really obey God allow you to receive God's love more. They allow you to receive it. It's not that God loves you any more or less, but when you're working with him, your heart's towards him, soft towards him, you're actually able to receive and engage with his love more, right? So sometimes I'll tell Judah like, because uh, I want to give him a hug, you know? I'm like, hey, come here, Judah. And he looks at me, he says, no, and walks away. And I'm like, dude, I was just, I was wanting to give you a hug, right? And now you disobey me. So I need, have to like discipline you. And gosh, that sucks. So um, my love, my love for Judah, I just, I just love him beyond words. And I'm like, man, God loves me like that and loves you like that. Sometimes I just like to watch him. Like we just like to watch him. Like when he's sleeping, it's kind of creepy, but we just like to watch him. And I'm like, uh, that's how God feels towards us. It's crazy. So this is, this is a kind of love that people are longing for. And we think it's too good to be true. God's love for us, but it's not, it's a, it's a, the non-performance based love and identity. So what's the part of your identity in Christ that, you know, you know, it's true, but you really have a hard time believing it. And do you, are you becoming aware of some of the lies you're believing and what to do with them? So here's, here's what's helpful to kind of retrain your, your mind. Think of what those things are, because changing your thinking, changing your mind on something leads to then action, living it out. So get some, get some note cards, put, put the verse that really attacks that truth and put yourself in that verse. This is what I, and I know a lot of people like train, help people to do this. So for me, I put that one, I put that one verse, Ephesians 2.10, and I put, put yourself in the verse. This is really helpful, right? So I actually was going to do this. Let's see. Yeah, make it personal. So this, this Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive, so if I'm saying this to myself, the spirit I receive does not make me a slave so that I live in fear anymore. Rather, the spirit I receive bought, brought about my adoption to sonship. So say, say it about yourself. Spirit Jason received, you know, or the spirit Michael received. You know, say it about yourself because it's true if you're in Christ. So to close, I, wanted, I want to tell you a story. Um, because this is really powerful, this story of adoption. And think of, think about, as I tell you this, think about, man, this is how God feels about me. This is me. This is how God thinks and feels about me. 
It's a, a, about a woman named Stephanie Fass. And Tad pointed me to, to her because I was trying to find some kind of good example. You can read her story in a book called She Is Mine. So as I go, again, think how this illustrates God's love for you. Stephanie Fass. Okay, here's, I don't know if this is actually her, but it's helpful, you know? Okay. Um, so she was born in 1950 in Korea. So they're going through the Korean War, right? And her dad doesn't know her dad. Her dad's like um, probably an American soldier. And then her mom, they had a child out of wedlock during the Korean War. So she's biracial, right? Which carries then uh, a, lot of, a lot of weight, a lot of hatred towards that because it's a reminder of the war and everything that went on. She was a half-breed, not looked kindly upon. But her mom dealt with the, uh, the, the mean looks and things like that for a few years. Um, but it was getting really hard for her to deal with this. So when the war was over, Three years later, four years later, um, there's a man who came and is willing to uh, marry um, this woman, but says, I'll marry you, but you can't bring the daughter. You can't bring the daughter. I'm not going to do that. And to us, this sounds crazy, right? But her mom essentially got rid of her to get married. Wild that you'd be able to do that. And essentially put her on a train, put Stephanie on a train. And told her, hey, get off at this station, and your uncle's going to be there to pick you up. He's going to take care of you. She gets off and stands there and waits. She doesn't know to this day if she, ha- if she actually had an uncle. Uh, she chooses to believe that she did, and somehow there's mix-up, you know, but could have just been an excuse. So she's four at that time, living on the streets. So not only is she a street child, but she also is hated by most, most of the Koreans because, again, she's biracial. She reminds them of the war. They, they want to forget it. And she's called this name. Um, it's basically um, it's Tuki. It's basically like a, a calling someone nasty in Korean. It means like garbage, nothing, little devil. And she heard it over and over and over again. And so she started to believe that's what she was. That's what she was. She was throwaway garbage. Right? How, I mean, sorry to break the story, but how many of you feel like you're defined by what people say about you over and over, by your early, by your childhood, what you heard over and over again? Maybe somebody said one thing to you, but you can't get that out of your mind, right? You feel like you're defined by that. So she heard this over and over, and so she thought that's what she was. She's in the streets being hated by all. So again, it's, it was, it was mind-blowing. She's four, and she's in the streets and just learning how to take care of herself, and she's also hated by a lot of people. So she lived in wintertime. She lived in foxholes. So she would climb inside and just shiver and try to stay warm inside a foxhole. She would eat mice and grasshoppers. She figured out how to eat them to stay like alive. And of course, she would steal to get whatever she could to survive, clothes, food. One time she joined a gang, but they just you know, raped and abused her. She hated herself. She hated everyone. She hated the world. She just was filled with hate. And this is, this is, this keeps getting worse. Sometimes the farmers that she would steal from, they would catch her and they would punish her. So one time she got thrown into a cistern, uh, like literally like Joseph, you know, like into a cistern, but as a little girl, you know, five, five or whatever. Um, one time she was tied to a water wheel that's going around in the water and just underwater dunking underwater over and over again. So she almost, so they treated her with such cruelty. But there's like each time it's crazy. Somebody rescued her, some stranger, right? She was like, she really felt like God was watching out for her. Uh, looking back, at least. Um, she almost died from cholera. Like she's getting sick. You can just imagine living in those situations, like how sick you'd be getting. Um, the worst time she got caught again by farmers. She was trying to steal and they caught her and they threw her in this abandoned building that was overrun by these like huge gutter rats. That was like, that's where they lived and they would like eat flesh. Right. And so that's like the last thing she remembered. And she, she was like unconscious. And then she, um, finally she woke up to this world vision nurse who's there, who's trying to rescue kids out of these situations. Right. Praise God, because she rescued this young lady, this, this young girl, by this time she's about seven. 
So she'd been on the streets for like three years, like five-year-old, six-year-old, seven. It's crazy. Imagine someone like that. Um, so she was in this orphanage by this point, and she was old enough to try to help. So she would help with a lot of the babies in the orphanage. Um, a couple years go by in the same situation. So she's about nine by now. So one day she hears that there's an American couple coming to the orphanage and they're going to pick out a baby boy to adopt. And so she helps get all the baby boys ready, combs their hair and everything, gets them ready. And so then she stands over in the corner where this, you know, this guy who she thinks is just huge, right? Walks into the room, giant hands. Uh, she'd never seen a guy so big before. Um, and he goes and he, she just watches him and he goes to e each little baby boy and just picks up the baby boy and just like cuddles the baby boy. And so she's hit with this wave of like, wow, that's, that's true love. And he just goes to each boy and like talks, talks to him, lays it down, picks up the next one. So she's like drawn to him immediately. And then he looks over at her and she's just like frozen. She's nine years old. Her hair is so white because of the lice. She's, she said she was 30 pounds as a nine-year-old. I'm thinking, man, Judah's 20 pounds, like 22. I don't even know. And so she's nine and she's 30 pounds, thick, thin. She said worms would crawl out of her mouth because she was just so infected because of the life she lived. She had like lazy eye and boils and scars everywhere. And this is two years after coming off the streets. She still looks like this. And he comes and he kneels down and he puts his hand on her face. And he looks into her eyes and she's just speechless and overwhelmed by his love. She's just looking at him. She never felt like that before. She never felt love like that before. And he's talking in English. She can't understand. Inside she's screaming, please don't ever let this end. Don't ever let this end because she's tasted love for the first time. But then she does something she doesn't, she didn't really know. She can't really explain why she like throws his hand off of her and spits at him and runs away. She didn't know what to do with love when it came to her. So she thought she'd experienced love. And then she's like, I've ruined it. I've ruined it. I've ruined it. I've ruined it. But what she didn't know was that the man, what he had said in English was, this is the one, this is the one we're going to adopt her. They come looking for a baby boy, but he felt God say, this is the one. So they come back the next day and she's told that she's going to go live with them. So she's already blown away, right? I thought I ruined everything with them. I get to go live with these people. But she thinks to herself, oh, I'm just like, I'm their servant. They bought me as a servant, right? She doesn't understand the stuff they're saying in English. Um, so, but it excited her. She gets to go live in like a new place that has a, a better environment for her. And she's going to, in her mind, she's going to work it off. She's going to work off the kindness, right? So they take her home. She's loved. She's fed. She's cared for. Um, she's enjoying it, but she never quite understood. Why, <laughs> why aren't they putting me to work? Why aren't they like giving me all these chores? Why aren't they getting really on me when I mess up, right? Why aren't they getting mad? And so I wanted to read an actual excerpt from this. This is from The Case for Grace by Lee Strobel. And he actually interviews this woman. So one day, this girl came and said, you smell American. And she said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you smell like cheese. I guess Americans smell like cheese to Koreans. It's kind of funny. So she said, well, I'm not an American, but those Americans are funny. They haven't put me to work yet. They're really treating me quite nice. And then this girl looked her and said with a surprised expression and said stephanie don't you realize you're their daughter and she said the idea never occurred to me she said no i'm not their daughter she said yes yes you are you're their daughter i was so astonished i turned and ran out of the room up the hill toward my house thinking to myself i'm their daughter i'm their daughter i'm their daughter oh that's why i've been treated this way that's why no one's beating me that's why no one's calling me a tukey that's why I'm their, I'm, I'm their daughter. I ran into the house to my mom who was sitting there and declared in Korean, I'm your daughter, but she didn't speak Korean yet. But a worker said to my mom, she's saying she's your daughter. And with big tears, her mom wraps her in a hug and said, yes, Stephanie, you're my daughter. But here's what's crazy. It took her years to really open up. So she understood that she's adopted really in the family. 
It really took her till she was 17 because she thought to herself, and how many of us do this? She thought if her friends and her parents really saw everything that she had been through, they would reject her. So she hid everything. But when she was 17, God finally broke through. Praise God. And he does that in our lives. This love she had received from her parents pointed her, her towards God's love. And she gave her life to Christ and just was open about everything. And this is kind of how I wanted to wrap up today. Was with another quote. She said, suddenly it came to me. It just came to me. Jesus knows me. And he still loves me. He knows all my shame. He knows all my guilt. He knows all my fears. He knows all my loneliness. Yet he still loves me. And I have never been the same since. She said, before then, when I would hear about God's love, I always felt like it was love for everybody else. He couldn't love me, right? I was a mistake. I was born out of sin. He couldn't love me. I was biracial. He couldn't love me. I thought you had to have some kind of status in life to be loved. It was so ingrained in me that after I was adopted and my parents talked about the love of God, I still thought he can't love me. I was raped. He can't love me. I was abused. He can't love me. I have this awful anger inside. He can't love me. My dad all the time says I need to forgive, but I just don't want to. But that night, see, but that night came the realization. He loves me. He loves me as I am. And that changed me, changed me inside and out. And it took me, she says, it took her many, many more years to get let go of certain patterns and really heal. She had hated herself for so long. But it changed her. God's love, God's adoption changed her. Do you know how that's how God feels about you? He wanted you in all your brokenness. And he loves you so much to adopt you into his family. Oh, what an amazing, amazing love. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God. For those not in Christ, why wouldn't you give Jesus everything? He loves you and wants to adopt you. For those who are already in Christ, is what Jesus says about you. Is that enough? Is it enough? should be. We're going to close. I'm going to leave this up on the, on the screen. I want us to think, ponder about this adoption concept. There's a song. It's kind of, it's not very well known, I don't think. But it really, it's from, a, it's from God's perspective about how he feels about you and thinks about you and loves you. And um, ask God to break down the lies in your life as we listen to this and as we close. And what, what does he want? Does he want you to do anything in response? Okay, so just think this is how God feels about you as an adopted child.